have an awesome guest tonight. We have Cynthia Dreyer coming on the show. She is the ex-wife of the late Phil Schneider. And anybody who is in the field of ufology, research, et cetera, et cetera, knows who Phil Schneider is. Um, he's a government structural engineer involved in building underground military bases around the United States and also to be one of only three people to survive the incident that occurred in 1979 between the great aliens and the U.S. military forces at the Dulce underground base. We have many topics we're going to touch on tonight, and I am so pleased to welcome Cynthia Dreyer on the show tonight. Welcome, Cynthia. Are you there? Yes, I am. Welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much. So we have many, many topics to discuss tonight. Um, is there any particular one that you would like to start with? Well, I think I'd like to start with um, his death, sure. uh, just to clarify what really happened for him. Because um, there's been lots of articles out about um, the possible piano wire it actually was a rubber hose catheter that was wrapped twice around his neck and tied in a knot. And supposedly he just sat on the edge of his bed and died from a suicide. But he always said in his lectures and to me personally that if they ever said he committed suicide, you'll know he was murdered. And right. certainly that's what happened. Absolutely. There's an interesting story that you, you and I have been talking for the last couple of days. I got in touch with you the other day, and it was just, just so awesome to be able to um, reach out to you and you'd agree to come on the show. Because so many people out there, um, like myself, who are just, you know, we believe everything that Phil has said. And the incident that you had told us about how he was discovered um, and the initial report that was given, did you want to elaborate a little bit on what the initial report was given and how it came to be that this catheter tube was found? Yes, he. I was called uh, late one night on the 17th of January in 1996 and I was told that he had died of a stroke and that he was you know, deceased and had been that way for almost a week. Um, I made arrangements with a funeral director to take his body from Woodburn, Oregon, which is where he was living, to Portland, Oregon, where I was living. And later, the next day, I went to the funeral director and I said I wanted to see the body just to kind of make sure he didn't have a gunshot wound to the head or something because his life had been threatened and he was talking about top government secrets. Well, the funeral director said he knew the coroner and he knew that the body would be okay, and but he would check it for me. He didn't want me to have to look at it because it was decomposed a little bit there. The next day, the police called me and said his body had been taken to the medical examiner, that the funeral director had found something around his neck. The coroner had never gone to see him. Now, in Oregon, if you die at home, you have, your body has to be examined by the coroner or his assistant, and that was never done. 
So that was the first clue right there that something was really wrong with his death. Uh, later okay. in the medical, yeah. Also, to, to reiterate here, um, he, you had told me that he was, um, there was allegations that there was a woman going to his apartment where he was living and was giving him shots for MS. Right. In Oregon, we had a special experimental program for multiple sclerosis, and Philip had been diagnosed with that, along with a multiple number of other problems that were going on for him, but in specific, that one. So he told me he was in an experimental program with the Oregon Health Sciences here in Portland, Oregon, and a nurse came in and gave him a shot every week for the multiple sclerosis experimental drug. And sometimes he would call me and he would say, you know, I really can't see Marie, his daughter, this week because the shot made him so sick. Well, after his mm -hmm. death, I, I wanted to get all the medical paperwork. I, I went to his personal doctor, I, and I went to the University of Oregon's hospital and they said he was never in their program. So oh. he was being given shots. Yeah, he was being given shots by a nurse that was a fake. This was not an authorized program. So they had no record whatsoever of any of their nurses on their staff going to give this experimental shot to Phil. That's correct. So we have so no he idea was basically. Right, and I think this is the same woman that was involved with his death later on and also that we saw after his death during when we were all together discussing his death at a church. We looked out the window and there was this woman in the car with long blonde hair, and I'm pretty sure it was the same person that had been involved with giving him the shot. My goodness, that's just, you know, there's so many subjects that I don't even know where to start. I know that one of the big ones, if you don't mind switching gears here real quick, um, to go back, so some some of our listeners may not have a full knowledge of who Phil was and what he was contracted to do, what kind of work he did, and some of the things that he discovered while he was working as, he was a civilian contractor for the government. He was a structural engineer. He was a brilliant man. Yes, he was. A lot Very about, brilliant. I mean, he well, had a, he, a vast knowledge. Yeah, he was working for Morrison Knudsen, which is a company, I believe they're stationed in Idaho. And he did a lot of work with that company doing military work. So he wasn't in the military, but he was involved with the military because he was a contractor. And he was doing deep underground mountain bases. Now, he was an explosives expert, so he knew what was needed in order to get through certain rocks so that they could build these bases. And some of them were two miles deep. So we're talking, you know, a lot of explosives, a lot of work getting down into a certain area and then enlarging it for, it's like a city down there. 
one of the examples that he talked to me about was in Colorado where he went down into granite and so they're they're blasting down into granite and suddenly they came to a cavity that shouldn't have been there so they went down to explore what was going on what this cavity was and it turned out to have in it a UFO and uh, an alien body now this had occurred so long ago that there was actually like quartz that had formed over the ship and the alien's body. This was the first clue that he had that aliens had been here living in the earth for probably millions of years. When we think about being invaded by aliens, forget it. They're already here and they have been here. They've been a part of our life since the beginning. The second time he, he told say, me... I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, the second time he told me about the alien contact was through the deep underground mountain bases with the Dulce, New Mexico. Right, and, the Dulce firefight. Right, the firefight. And he, he told me about that, how the men came down. And to me, the number was like 21 people originally went down. He Again, they're blasting holes, and suddenly they discover that there's a cavern already there. So they go down and explore what's going on there. And they find um, lizard aliens, dracos is what he would call them. So they're big, tall, reptilian looking. And they also had some of the gray, what they call grays. They're the smaller, shorter, with the big eyes. The kind right. that you usually see in the... People who have been abducted. Right. The typical gray, right. Uh, he told me about how there, some of them are very allergic to ammonia, and they would actually pee in their hard hat and throw the pee on the alien, and it would kill them because they were very allergic to ammonia. I had some theories about... Oh, go ahead, honey, go ahead. Well, I had some theories about some of our uh, mythologies, like vampires, you know, that they're allergic to garlic. You wear garlic around you. Well, garlic forms ammonia. And to me, I think some of our own myths in the past are really based on the blood-eating aliens that he found in these caverns. They had a big vat of blood and human body parts and they I were actually that. yeah they're consuming humans so there was actually human body parts down in the Dul when the in the dulcie firefight and and as that story goes to the best of my knowledge he had had a gun and shot two of them is that correct well he he got shot by a cobalt gun from one of the aliens and I believe he had a gun as well, but the major damage was to him in his chest. Right. And he had he had a very severe injury where it would split open, especially when he was warm during the summer. And while he was married to me, he had that repaired. He had that injury repaired. What is a cobalt gun? Well, it was like a laser, I guess you know, being shot by a laser. 
so it was a very thin line and it, it went right into his chest. It hurt his lung. I believe he had only half a lung on one side. In one of his Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, well, in one of his videos, um, he would pull up his shirt and show the injury to his chest, and that was that was from the firefight. I have to apologize. There's a delay on my end, so I have to apologize for that. Um, now, he did he actually see them eating like human body parts? I mean, like because I had never really heard that graphic part of it. I had heard that in one of his speeches, he did say that they base their food on our adrenal glands and um yeah they do derive one of their happy drugs from us so when they frighten us and we get the adrenaline going yeah um that's like a drug to them but then they eat our blood really yeah they eat it yeah they want our blood and they they eat our body parts there was this Is big giant bat certain ones well it sounded like the reptilian ones specifically were doing this, and the greys helped them get people. So the greys help abduct people, usually children. You know, there's a million children that disappear every day, I mean every year in the United States. A million every year. But we, we only hear about a couple of them. And if you looked at, if you were to map out where children disappear in the United States, they're almost always around where the deep underground mountain bases are. And they're housing these reptilians now. There's a, a treaty that we have to house them in exchange for their technology. Right. Did he mention anything else about anything he knew about these extraterrestrials? Now, um, the underground bases, the holes that they were digging, um, what were they digging these holes for? Was this, this was to expand military bases, but the, the, the extraterrestrials just happened to be already living there? or Right. The extraterrestrials happened to be already living there because they've been living on Earth forever. And, but the deep underground mountain bases originally were for uh, to protect people in case of like Noah's flood or something happening to the surface, like an atomic bomb and a nuclear winter. So originally, mm -hmm. these deep underground mountain bases were to protect certain people underground, so that if the Earth became inhabitable on top, they could still live below it. Plus, they have a transportation system in between the deep underground mountain bases. He knew where 152 of these bases were. And they're all connected by an extremely fast system of mobility. If you could go from New York to L.A., I think he said, in an hour through these wow. underground systems. I remember hearing I, about that one of his speeches, about the Mach 4, I think he said they went or something. Yeah, they're very fast, very fast, and they're all underground. Um, he visually saw one of these when he was underground in one of these bases. He saw the system, but he didn't write on it. 
right. The only thing I heard that was mentioned um, in one of his speeches was that there was shackles on these underground systems that he saw on these trains. Um, oh, okay. For people who he believed weren't going along with the New World Order when it would take place, um, we're going to be enslaved. It's, to the best of my knowledge, in one of his videos, that's what he said. That's just amazing. He had all this information because you just think about the number of, you know, government officials or civilian workers working for a military or government doing these secret things who aren't telling anybody about what's happening and what's going on. And it's just, you know, really sad how many of us, you know, are naive and don't know what's going on right under our noses here and where our money's going, which would probably explain why gas prices are so high and that's mm, yeah. where the money's going. Mm -hmm. so another well, let me clarify. That, go ahead. I would like to clarify about the, the freight cars because they're sure. actually above ground. They're, they're not below ground. And they're okay. made by Gunderson Freights, which is actually here in Portland. We have a, a the freight cars are being made here in Portland, Oregon. Um, apparently, one of the employees, you know, got really concerned by what he was seeing. And when you look inside the cars, they have like 122 pairs of shackles inside of them. Oh, okay. Those and he took right. He took a photo okay. of it, and because he knew Philip was lecturing all over the nation. He gave Philip the photo and told him about what was going on. Plus, it's kind of local for us because he was from Portland right. and Woodburn. It's it's very close. These would be used for the internment camps. So if you go to the New World Order, you're going to have people who don't want it, right? And so they have these internment camps and these shackled freight cars will take the people to the internment camps. Oh, that's just chilling to hear things like uh, that our, uh, you know, own government think, would do that to us. I think what was most amazing about that story is after the Oklahoma bombing, they were blaming the militants for for doing the bombing. And they asked to go to the Senate and talk in front of the Senate and tell them what type of organization they are, the militants. At the very opening up, and I saw this on the news personally, they showed a photo of one of these freight cars and asked the Senate what it was. The Senate immediately closed down. They told all the people to go away. And that hearing was no more. Later in the paper, happen? this happened after the Oklahoma bombing, when the militants wanted to have a hearing in front of the Senate. Okay. So they made, they made public the freight car photo. And you know where they got it from, was Philip. Right. Because they wanted people to know, you know, that a lot of things that are happening are really addressed toward a one-world government. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And that's a lot of what Phil touched on in his his speeches, it's just so remarkable. Another subject, if you if you wouldn't mind talking about a different subject right now, I want to get as much in as possible about okay. things that he knew, is the Philadelphia experiment. 
Now, his father, to the best of my knowledge, from what we discussed, was working on that on that program. Is that correct? Yes, he was. His father was Captain Oscar Schneider of the Navy. He was a medical doctor. So what happened with the Philadelphia experiment, uh, Einstein and Tesla got together. They formed a machine that would vibrate the air, the water, sound, everything together. And they were attempting to make a Navy ship invisible to radar. But what they ended up doing was making a ship invisible to sight. On top of that, the ship could go from the Philadelphia Harbor where the experiment started to Newark, New Jersey in like five minutes. So there was some sort of a time warp wow. involved. When it reappeared, everything seemed okay. They turned on the machine again, went back to the Philadelphia Harbor, and at that point, it reappeared. Men were like impaled in the ship. They were phasing in and out. I mean, this was the reality. It's not just a science fiction show. It really did happen. All the men were quarantined into a psychiatric ward in Virginia, the ones that survived. Obviously, the ones that were impaled in the ship didn't survive. While they, when they died, when these men died, Oscar, Dr. Oscar would come in and autopsy their bodies. And this is some of the letters that Philip found after his father became deceased were these letters that his father wrote saying, what is this that I'm finding inside their bodies? It's behind their eyes, in their brain, in their arms and their legs, and it was a tiny little gold-tipped transmitter-looking thing, very tiny, with Enochian-type writing on it. And it was an alien implant. I mean, we would know it as that now because we've seen so many of them. Back then it was a new thing. And so the theory is that the Philadelphia experiment got caught in with some alien interaction and that's why when it came back that second time uh, <clears throat> it was all impaled. <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh, that's okay. That I remember hearing about that show. I think it was, oh gosh, I can't even remember what show that that was. Um, probably on the History Channel or somewhere, but I do remember hearing about that. That's a very famous incident, and I can't believe that Phil's father was um, involved with that. That's absolutely just stunning. And then to hear of um, his own account, and I know, you know, you've told me several things about strange coincidences in, in your family regarding, you know, your line, and I won't bring anything, any of it up. I'll let you talk about uh -huh. it if you want to talk about it. Yes, I'd like to talk about the Operation Crossroads because that was another ex experiment, Black Ops, that Oscar Schneider was involved with. So again, he's a, a doctor with the Navy. He's there at the Bikini Atoll with what's called Operation Crossroads, and they actually do, um, let off, set off two different atomic bombs. He had, there were ships, I mean, I, it's amazing how many times I see this on TV. You'll see the atomic bomb go off, and in the water you'll see these little tiny ships. Well, those are, you know, Navy ships that were in the experiment. They had goats and different kinds of animals on them, and after the bomb went off, 
Oscar would go on these ships and look at the animals and see what the radiation did to them. But in, in the meantime, when they set off that first bomb, photographs were taken at the top of it, and UFOs were coming up out of that bikini lagoon. So you had the mushroom cloud, the UFOs coming up out, and water dripping off of them. They were coming up out of the water. Now, the head of this experiment was General Joseph Stilwell. And I got a book on the Operation Crossroads. I was very interested in it. And it suddenly dawned on me that a young boy that my daughter had gone to school with was named Joseph Stilwell. And I thought to myself, wow, what's the coincidence in that? I'm going to call his grandfather who was raising him. So I called the grandfather and I said, you know, I, I'm looking at Operation Crossroads, the book, and I noticed there's a Joseph Stilwell in your grandson is named that as he related he goes yes general joseph stillwell was my uncle and wow. my grandson yeah wow and my grandson is named after him right and i said here. well <laughs> yeah so i and he lives right here in portland so i said to him well my husband has some photographs from operation crossroads showing things coming up out of these clouds. And he says immediately, oh, you mean the UFOs? <laughs> and I said, yes, the UFOs coming up out of the clouds. And he goes, yes, I was in the airplane that was taking the photographs. And I saw the UFOs coming up out of the Bikini Lagoon. So here was someone who, out of all the coincidences in life, his young grand son goes to school with my daughter and both of our families are involved with Operation Crossroads but here's a first-hand account whereas my you know Philip was just using the photographs and he was totally right I mean the there was a base underground base of some sort for the aliens there in the lagoon it makes you wonder about where just coincidence ends and fate, destiny, or whatever else picks up, you know, I mean, it's, some things are just too coincidental, and, you know, when you start to connect everything, it, you know, it, it makes you really just step back and take a look at the big picture, like, wow, what am I to be seeing here, what am I to be getting out of this whole situation, you know, with trying to push for disclosure, and I know, unfortunately, after Bill passed away, all we had to go by was um, the videos that are up on YouTube and whatever speeches were made. And, and I thought, my gosh, it's been so long. You know, this story not be swept under the rug. There's just too much information that needs to get out there. And I'm just really grateful that you're on the show and you're able to corroborate things that, Bill talked about and give a first-hand account of, you know, your life with Phil and the things that he talked about and the things he experienced and things that you experienced and, you know, the yeah. strange things that happened. I mean, I saw the original letters. I saw the original photographs with the Navy seals on it. You know, they, they stamp their photographs a certain way. This is not fake stuff. This is real stuff. 
And all of that was taken. You know, when he died and I went into the apartment after his death, his higher math books, his notes that he was writing for his book, all the photographs, all the alien materials, everything was gone. Now his wallet, his jewelry, his money, I mean, you know, things that most people think of as valuable was still there, untouched. Except his wallet was kind of a weird thing, but that's another story. It's just that the police go, oh, well, somebody stole photos, huh? They stole what? You know, what? Ah, they don't understand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're just making it up. Why would they steal that stuff and leave all this other stuff here, you know? It wasn't a burglary. It wasn't a murder. It was just a suicide. And I know sure. it wasn't. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, we know better, and, you know, there's so many corroborating things, but, you know, the catheter around his neck and the things missing from the apartment, yet money was left, and, you know, and the mysterious woman going to the apartment, and then you also had um, what you referred to as a watcher that lived across the street from you the entire time. Oh, yeah. So when Philip first moved into my home, um, I had a longtime neighbor across the street. I mean, she, she'd she lived there for decades, and all of a sudden she's moving out and a new person moved in. So it's exactly the same time that Philip is moving in, she's moving in. So this is 1987. In 1996, when Philip died, I'm at his funeral. I'm visiting with people who've come from all over, from Canada, Georgia, Washington, and she's moving out at the very same day of the funeral because she didn't need to be there anymore. But that was a watcher. That was someone who was designated to be there to see what me and Philip were both doing, our movements. Did she have any family with her? Did you notice any visitors or children never, or anybody else? No, I never noticed anything. Anybody? Did you ever talk I, to her? I just talked with her a little bit just to say hello, hi, I'm Cynthia, I'm your neighbor, and you know, kind of what happened to the other neighbor. Right. <laughs> you know, I was kind of curious why she had to move. Did she say why? Well, she said, uh, oh, she had a fire, and her family decided she needed to go live on her own. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. live in a assisted living place. And she shouldn't be living on her own anymore. Was there anything that was suspicious about this woman other than the fact that she, her timing was just really bizarre? Did she have an accent or did you notice anything that might indicate she, you know, was really um, maybe from a foreign country or had, um, did she seem physically fit? Like, was there anything that just didn't really fit the bill of, you know, a woman like her living there alone all them years? Um. Yeah, I just didn't have a whole lot of contact with her. But I know, again, the serendipity, the coincidences. And I knew another person who had a watcher as well. He was um, a lawnmower man. He could, send his, he could send his electrical impulses through TVs, through telephones, through computers. And basically spy on you on the other end. A guy uh, could? 
Yeah, so right. I, I don't know if you've ever seen The Lawnmower Man. Again, it's yeah. a science fiction show, but I actually physically knew someone that could do that. Oh, and, the truth is stranger than fiction. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I don't know why I'm kind of drawing. I draw in, interesting people to me, I guess. But Philip, he was such a brilliant man. He could figure out mathematically that the Challenger was shot out of the air. That thing did not blow up because of an O-ring. It was shot out of the atmosphere. By, you, said by a, you said it was a cosmosphere that shot, him out, shot the Challenger out of the air. But it was because it had the first non-military person on it. Hmm. If yeah, you remember the picture. Yeah. What was you going to say, hon? I forget the name of the teacher that was on the Challenger that day, but that's oh, why it was shot that. out of the air. Yeah, offhand, I wouldn't know. I'd have to look that up. But, I mean, if anybody would know, he would know, definitely. I mean, he, like you said, his wealth of knowledge and things like that, you know, people like ordinary people who don't have the education with, like, um, the mathematics and you know what he knew about explosives. He definitely was at a at a higher uh, education level than most people, I would say, and that yeah. gave him an advantage that a wealth of knowledge that that power of knowledge. Yeah. Also, he talked about the Oklahoma bombing. When you talk about explosives and him knowing what caused what, he said that the Oklahoma bombing was a military explosive in one of the elevators. There actually had been two bombs, one on each side that, you know, how usually you have two elevators right. opposite each other, right? So the bomb went off in one, but it didn't go off in the other. And if you can recall, when they were coming in to try and rescue people, they suddenly all started to run away because they said there was another bomb that they found, they really had. They really had found another bomb. It was in the other elevator, but it hadn't gone off. But he could tell by the U-shaped explosion, the, the way the building looked, that this was not just a car bomb on the outside of the building. He could tell it was exactly. in the elevator. Did he say why they would have done that, what the motive yeah. was behind it? Yes, because the very next day they were going to release all the papers from Waco. Hmm. And something was going on at Waco. It was much more than just the Davidian cult. If you remember, the Davidian cult was building tunnels under their complex. Well, they okay. found something under there that they shouldn't have. They found... Okay. Yeah. So this was tied into that, that complex where, gosh, that was so many years ago. I'm trying to refresh my memory on it. They, there was mass suicides at that complex. Or, like, what was the story behind that one? The FBI went in, and they were trying to get the people out. And instead of getting them out, they accidentally set fire to it and burnt all the rest of the people that were there in the complex. And they found them in a bus underneath 
they were, you know, had been trying to build these tunnels underneath their complex, and they found a lot of the people who had died in that tunnel area. Okay. So but that's the FBI basically so went in and, and slaughtered them, yeah. So they found something? He didn't say what they found? Well, he believes they found one of the tunnels that goes to the alien complex. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. And it just so seemed the they, to find out. So that... Get better and better. So the Oklahoma bombing was actually um, to cover up what was going on for Waco. And all the federal people, I mean, the people that were in the federal government, if you look into the story, they were not in the building. Somebody knew ahead That's of time that, that was going to happen. Yeah. They knew ahead of time it was going to happen. Oh, that rings a bell. That rings a bell with, you know, current events or within the year 2000. So it's just, you know, it doesn't surprise me. It really doesn't. I hate to say that. So the reason Phil wanted to be a whistleblower, so to say, was due to a friend of his um, died, Ron Rummel. Rommel? Yes, uh-huh. They Did had you want to tell us that? Yeah, there was, there was a little digest that they were actually writing. Just a little little digest. It was called the Alien the Alien Digest. And it got to be pretty famous. I mean, they were getting orders for it from Australia. Beachhead is another newsletter that talks about aliens and the one world order and some of the top secret things that are going on in the world. So it was actually going out a lot into all over the United States. So for this little tiny alien digest, it was getting a lot of people to look at it. And all of a sudden, I remember Philip calling me up one day saying, Ron Rummel is dead. I said, Dad, what happened? Well, they found him in a park he shot himself and he he, he killed himself and I, I said to philip i said philip you'd know ron he he wouldn't have killed himself what the heck are you sure so he went and got the police report that showed um he'd been shot with a gun but and there was blood on his hand, but not on the gun. So hmm. apparently, after he shot himself and killed himself, he wiped his gun off. Oh. Mm. Yeah. Which, of course, couldn't happen. So right. somebody had been there and forced him to shoot himself. And that made Philip really mad. <laughs> right. What were some of the things that were being printed in that book? Do you know what they were talking about in the book? Um, I think they were talking about, again, the how there are several theories about how the One World Order is going to happen. They're going to fake an alien attack so that we have to all get together and fight the aliens. And they're going to create laws that will allow them to put people into the concentration camps that don't agree. Well, we've come pretty close. You know, if you think about Katrina and what happened there, Bush almost got through 
one of these orders that would have given him powers in martial law. Right. And that could have been nationwide, and that could have started it right there. So but it didn't go through. On, sorry, go ahead, hon. But it didn't go through. Thank goodness. Otherwise, I'm sure the world oh, would yeah. be a little different right now. So at that time, what was um, some of Phil's thoughts on what he believed the One World Order, how it was going to happen? Besides the, the fake alien attack, um, did he say anything at all about, I don't know, maybe some of the aliens being on our side and trying to help us in this? Oh, or? that's a good question because he said there were seven types of aliens, and out of those two were friendly that actually tried to help us. One of them looks very similar to us. They, they're a little larger. Did he say what but they were called? He said they were from the Pleiades. Oh, the Pleiades. So the, okay. the aliens that were from the Pleiades looked more like us and were more friendly to us. But in his mind, he said, all aliens were bad because they were all trying to manipulate us. Whether it was good or bad, they all had their own agenda as to why, you know, we're either a food source or something else for them, that they wanted to control us. And uh, so it, was, it would be really hard for any of us to determine which one was good and which one was bad. Obviously, the ones that are eating us in a vat of blood are, not, are the bad ones. The greys oh, yeah. are, are their minions. The, the greys are working as slaves for them. But there are several other varieties out there. I remember in one of Phil's speeches, he talked about actually knowing about one or some of the aliens that were working with us um, along to help us yeah. with our technology. Right, and I don't know whether helping us with our technology is helping us. <laughs> um, right. There was yeah. an agreement, there was an agreement, a treaty that would allow them to abduct a certain number of humans in exchange for them sharing their technology with us. So right. they had to give a list of all these people that they abducted to the government, so they were allowed to do it. However, the government found out that they were abducting a whole lot more than what they were giving them. So there's about 15 million people in the United States that have been abducted. Well, it doesn't surprise me, and I just can't fathom how, that's how, you know, the audacity of, you know, it's a shame not not everybody in our government could possibly be that bad, but you got to think about the ones that did that treaty with those extraterrestrials. You're going to make a deal with somebody who's far beyond your mental capacity and your intelligence, and you think they're going to abide by this treaty, and it's just, it's almost like making a treaty with, you know, an ant or a cockroach, I hate to refer to the human race as that, but that's probably what a lot of them, you know, look at as that, you know, because I mean, with yeah. the, the technology that they possess to have the stealth to come into your home and without, you know, alerting neighbors or anyone else through locked doors, security systems, you know, security dogs or whatever, 
you know, and manipulate your mind in such a way that you either think you had a dream or um, a deceased relative or something else that you thought was entering your home, and it's them. And it, it just blows my mind that, you know, we would think, oh, well, give us your technology and we'll give you some humans. And I can't believe they think that the extraterrestrials would actually go along with that. So it doesn't surprise me that it ended up the way it did and they lost control over the situation. I think one of the reasons why Philip was talking out, not only because of his friend who was, who was murdered by suicide, but because he had you know, a child. He wanted his daughter, Marie, to uh, be able to survive. And he could see a big danger on what was coming. He wanted people to know, he wanted his daughter to know, that there's, it, I think knowledge is bliss. The more you know, the better able you are to react to a situation. So if you know that X aliens are already here, if they're attacking us, it's a, it's a falsehood, then you, that's going to help you react in a different way and keep the one world government from occurring. So Phil truly believes that the new world order would have a lot to do with a fake uh, staged alien invasion and that's how they would do it would be to scare all of us into mass hysteria and believing whatever they would say oh well here here's how we fix this you know type thing when actually yeah. there won't be a, an alien invasion you've got it that's it um, they're already here there's no invasion do you know which kinds are already here I know you mentioned um, the Greys and the Dracos are you aware of any other uh, type of extraterrestrial that Phil may have mentioned that may already be uh, taking up residence somewhere in the mountains or underground in Earth? Well, he said there were seven. So obviously we know about the seven that are visiting us, whether they're already living here or coming in on ships and visiting us. Okay. The ones that are underground right now are the Greys and the Draco reptilian type and they're like vampires they they eat us they suck our blood and create fear for their drugs when I think about you know some of those stories like the vampires even the Pied Piper some of these stories just are I think clues to keep us safe oh really hey if you think about the Pied Piper what does he do he opens up a mountain and takes the children away. How do you open up a mountain? Right, exactly. It's a deep underground mountain base is what it is. And even open sesame, what are they doing? They're opening a mountain. So a lot That's of these... interesting. I never thought of it that way. A lot of these ancient stories that we have are really clues about what's here on Earth already. <laughs> There's so many reports all the time about strange aircraft, strange lights, strange activity around mountainous areas and, you know, areas like that near uh, military bases and out in the desert. And there's so many, if you know, if, if you do your homework, you go online, and this is for everybody, you find so many stories about strange, 
military or beings coming out of like the mountain area regions near Arizona and Nevada and you can only hear so many stories before you finally click and say gee maybe you know there's some truth to all this and that's the purpose of this show is to pursue disclosure because in my opinion uh, our government the United States government at least I can't speak for other governments around the world um, the US government is never going to disclose and admit to the alien presence it will never happen you might hear one or two clues come out of NASA or uh, wherever else we will never our government will never admit to it and that's my opinion I think that we the people are the disclosure our voice our stories our information that we share with each other is the disclosure and that's all we need because yeah. we already know we already know they can't they can only lie for so long and I've seen the craft I've seen the strange you know whatever they call it the TR3B or whatever that mocks the alien technology or has alien technology I've seen it right here in, in my neighborhood because I you know I live in Northeast Ohio I got Vianna Air Base in Youngstown not far from me and then in Dayton is Wright Patterson Air Force Base which allegedly the Roswell crash uh, saucer along with the alien recovered bodies were taken to Wright Patterson yeah. Air Force Base. So do you want to hear a, a tie-in with all of that? Absolutely. My father, my biological father, um, was working at Wright Anderson Air Force Base. Um, think about Operation Crossroads, okay? You have Operation Crossroads and you're dropping an atomic bomb. Do you know where those planes came from? Probably Wright Patterson. <laughs> Actually, they came from Roswell. Okay. They came from Roswell, okay. So here you have the bomb going off. You've got all these ships coming up out of the water. And a couple of months later, you've got alien ships crashing in Roswell. And oh, I, that's, not a, that's not a coincidence, believe me. I saw a movie. This is I saw a movie on Roswell, and they show this captain going into the into the office, and on the back wall, it's the Bikini Atoll. It's the same map that Oscar was looking at in a photo that I have. It was like, oh my God, the light bulb goes off. So many yeah. of these things are tied together. Operation Crossroads, Roswell, Wright Patterson, you know, all of those are all tied Absolutely. in together. And so is Montauk, New York. Yeah, I'm just now learning about Montauk, New York. That's something I gotta go do some research on. And that's what I love about having this show and I'm so glad that you're on with me because, you know, knowledge is power and I know there like I said, there's a lot of people you know, listening to the show right now, that believe everything that Phil said about what he knew regarding all of these these subjects, and I think it's wonderful that you're on the show to corroborate that. And anything else that you could tell us that we may not already know about that you think we would benefit from? I know it's been a long time. I know a lot of it is is probably difficult to remember at this point. But anything else you could tell us about anything he may have talked about 
um, regarding any of these subjects of importance that we could, you know, benefit from. You mentioned that you've you've seen craft and what have oh, you. Um, Philip was talking to his brother at a Thanksgiving gathering, and I was kind of new to Groom Lake Area Fifty One. You know, I really didn't know that much about it, and they were talking about it. Apparently, both Philip and George Schneider, his brother, flew top-secret planes out of Area 51. And I heard George say to Philip, you know, if you keep talking about this in public, you're probably going to end up dead. Wow. So... I kind of heard that and went, oh, yuck. <laughs> you know, that there so was you mean talking about, like, the aircraft, talking about the top-secret aircraft? Yeah. You know, one of the first programs he gave was about the B-12 and the stealth planes. He gave a talk at the Bigfoot Society. <laughs> and uh, he was talking about these top-secret planes. And his brother was giving him a warning that, you know, if he kept talking about all this stuff, he was going to end up dead. Yeah, that's probably not very smart of our military to be flying these secret aircraft over residential neighborhoods, you know, especially, you know, at night and on, you know, holidays. There was an incident I had mentioned on my show before, you know, two Halloweens ago I had seen, um, it was probably, you know, I can't be sure of what it was, it was definitely high-tech, whatever this craft was, it glowed bright orange and hovered for an extended period of time above the neighborhood and then proceeded to uh, shut the orange light off or whatever the, was causing it to glow bright orange. And then it flew over the street I was walking up and, you know, it either had a chevron shape or a triangular shape. And I can't recall because the back end of it was very hard to see because it was, there was a strobing light going back and forth on the back. And I just remember this craft making little to no noise. There was just like a windy whooshing sound when it went overhead and a big white light on the front of it and uh, I believe a blue light on each uh, of the wingtips uh, on each side. And I just remember thinking to myself, why would this aircraft, if it's a secret government aircraft, be hovering over my neighborhood when it's still kind of daylight out on a holiday where everybody's outside. I don't get it. If they want it to be secret, why are they doing that, you know? I think they want to know how the public's going to react to stuff like that. You I think, think it about, was sort of like a stage then? Yeah. I, you know, I keep thinking back to when we landed on Mars for the first time. You probably weren't alive then. I don't know. Uh, but I was, and I was watching. I was watching TV. I mean, it was like the first walk on the moon. This was the first landing on Mars. They had this little machine go out and take the soil and analyze it. And it said life. It had found evidence of life on it. And immediately you got this response from NASA saying, oh, it wasn't life. It was just a chemical reaction, blah, blah, blah. But right. I know they found life. <laughs> and they just didn't want to tell us. Sure. Like, if you're a witness to that, a machine going out, testing the soil, and saying that there's life, and then NASA goes and says, no, 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 and now what are they trying to tell us? Yeah, there probably is life on Mars. 
They've been preparing us for years to try and accept the fact that we're not the only living things out there. Yep, just like those photographs of the moon, uh, the moon surface about uh, the alleged base that's, um, there's <laughs> vents coming out of uh, the surface of the moon. Yeah, yeah. I, I just believe you know, that. I was just saying the photographs that were um, airbrushed of uh, the surface of, of the moon and the, I believe it was the NASA employees that were instructed to airbrush the photographs, to airbrush away like those ventilation uh, <laughs> chambers coming out of the moon's surface. Yeah. Well, I, I met this lady at my genealogy library of all places, right? Again, this yeah. is serendipity. Her father worked in NASA. He helped develop some of the machines that walked around on the moon. And she had really? a moon she had a moon sample. A sample of the moon. And she was gonna maybe sell it on eBay and the FBI were all over her. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. Um, the thing about the moon rock is it's exactly like earth rock. It's no different. The moon rock is earth rock. And I guess they don't want us to know that. <laughs> You'd be surprised with like the experiment they did where they allegedly, people were saying, oh, we blew up the moon because we want to see water spray out of it. you got to wonder what was the real motive behind it. Hey, let's see if the moon has water. You just now want to see that? It's been a while, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. Hey, listen, Cynthia, a friend of mine yeah. is calling in. It's uh, Chris Augustine, and he has a website called AliensTheTruth.com. And oh, he's calling me. in right now. He, he probably has a few questions. Is it okay if I bring him on? You bet. Okay, great. Go ahead, Chris. You're on the air. Good evening. Hi, how are you? How's everybody tonight? Cynthia, this is Chris. Hi, Chris. <laughs> how are you? Just fine. Can you hear me Thank okay? You. I can There's hear you. There's a little bit yeah. of a delay tonight. I just wanted to uh, comment on one thing that you were just talking about, um, uh, the warning that Phil had gotten uh, when they were saying, you know, doing the work from Area 51, secret planes and everything, and they said, you know, you keep talking about this, you'll end up dead. Uh, one of the uh, interesting things that I read in one of Stanton Friedman's books and uh, more recently in one of Nick uh, Redfern's books uh, regarding contactees is the government is no stranger to following people related uh, to the UFO field. Uh, contactees especially because they almost always had an anti-nuclear uh, type agenda. They tended to be a bit on the communist side. So they would actually have FBI and even Air Force personnel um, investigating them, you know, questioning them, finding out their motives, going to UFO conferences, seeing what these people were telling people, what type of secrets they were telling. Uh, and to take it even further, especially during the 60s and 70s, they would infiltrate UFO uh, support groups or, you know, forums. They would go to these meetings posing as interested parties just to see what people were discussing, if there were any secrets being revealed, etc. And I think... Uh, the one difference uh, from 1996 compared to now, uh, why people aren't showing up dead more often, is the Internet. 
uh, people are much more visible now. It would be a lot more difficult to silence someone because they're so well connected and people are so well informed of what's going on, you know, to have a, a predominant UFO researcher just suddenly, you know, die from, you know, any peculiar circumstances would seem a bit odd and it would tick people off right away to, hey, there must be something to this because they just mysteriously died. Yeah, I agree. Um, I thought Philip had better protection, but what happened for him uh, although he was able to survive several threats on his life, was that they started to threaten me and the children. Right. So he basically, he basically gave himself up to them to protect me and the kids. Well, I mean, th this type of behavior is nothing new. Uh, having done a lot of research on the Roswell incident, uh, some of the eyewitness testimony that was recently brought to light, I believe the book was Witness to Roswell, um, they talked about uh, a young girl who was 12 years old. I think she was the daughter of the fire, ch uh, the fire chief um, who actually handled some of the crash debris. They had a New York City police uh, officer who was an expert in interrogations flown in and was doing uh, interrogations for the government, asking people what they saw and pretty much forcing them into silence. I mean, I'm going to paraphrase here, but uh, he essentially told a 12-year-old girl after she said, you know, oh, yeah, I held this debris, it was totally exotic, blah, 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 that the desert is a huge place and no one will ever find your body. And this ah. is in 1947 telling a 12-year-old American girl. So if that's that long ago and they were willing to kill people, <laughs> good luck today. Yes, exactly. There's so many more ways they can do you in now. And did you oh, guys yeah, hear about that new way that they're doing it? Is they have this um, Jesse Ventura, the governor, he actually found out about that company. Chris, you might know the name of it, where they're actually hiring civilian people to keep track of their own neighbors and their, and their yeah. activities. I Sounds can't like remember the watcher. name. Uh, what was it? Of course, I forgot the name now. It was—I know the conspiracy theory is uh, the name of the show. Um, it was like either Infraguard or Intraguard or In, something like Infraguard. that. Infraguard—that's what it is. Yeah, yeah they hire civilian workers, right, to spy the, on their own neighbors. The government actually um, hires these people. You're absolutely right. Uh, and what's interesting about them is these these private individuals, these you know, citizens, are informed of threats before the general public. And these are high-profile business owners, utility managers, you know, the people that run the electric company, the gas company, people that run banks, et cetera, in major cities all around the United States, I think they have representation in every state, are informed of threats against the United States before the average Joe Schmo, so they can prepare their own systems. Now, to me, there's something wrong with that. <laughs> You know, the people that are pulling the strings and controlling our society are learning about these things beforehand so they can then control things if something did happen and take the power away from those they don't deem necessary and give it to themselves. But that's just my take. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, but it's an, it, it is an interesting show, and it, it's obviously a bit of showmanship and... Uh, uh, and if you've never seen it, it's a little over the top with his investigative style. Obviously, likes to use a bit of muscle, you know, having the the history and and uh, you know uh, weightlifting and uh, and wrestling and whatnot. 
but uh, I mean, it does bring a lot of information to light, and they haven't done anything on uh, UFOs yet. Uh, but one thing they did do recently, I believe it was uh, talking about secret underground bases and bunkers for doomsday, like 2012, you know, potential whatever. And I, I think it's underneath the Denver airport. Oh, yeah. Apparently it's one of the biggest uh, underground yes. bases ever. And they've removed, I think it was more dirt than, they've removed more dirt and rock uh, than the entire length of the airport on top, so nobody yes. knows, you know, why all this is being excavated. I mean, it's 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 humongous. And then they actually toured the airport and they saw all these murals and they said something like, "For the new world order or new world government, this is like the first airport for it." And then they had these plaques, what looked like a doomsday type thing. There was huge waves and cities on fire, and it was kind of even displaying this as like a mecca or like you know a safe place, whatever. So I mean, it it looked pretty interesting if you put the dots together. Philip actually analyzed all those murals because they're very Masonic, and a lot of the symbols right. in it are Masonic. Yep. His dad was a thirty-two degree Masonic. So that was some of the books that were stolen after he died were a lot of the Masonic symbolism books that he had. Wow. I mean, <clears throat> like I said, the more we talk about this subject, the more, like, my mind gets refreshed about things that, you know, we, I think this is what they would like to have happen. You know, the, the government, they would like things just to fade and to get swept under the rug. And, and like I keep trying to stress to the audience is we got to keep fighting for this disclosure. And the way we do it is just keep talking about it, keep spreading the information and just keep making it in the public eye. And that's great that people like Jesse Ventura, who's, you know, a celebrity, people are obviously going to look to him, you know, more so than someone like me. You know, I'm not a celebrity. And that's great that, that he's doing that because it's getting more people involved. And um, one of the things I wanted to, to sort of backstep on real quick um, with you, Cynthia, is I, I remember I asked you when we were talking earlier on the phone, one of the things that I found perplexing was, I, I mean, I have no doubt that extraterrestrials are real. I have no doubt whatsoever. And I, and I had asked you, did Phil ever mention um, anything about how, um, what he felt, how the aliens were getting into people's homes, like behind locked doors and so on and so forth. And you mentioned something like dreamscaping or, or things like that. Yeah, um, I mean, there's remote viewing and dreamscaping, but I think for the aliens, they have a interdimensional ability to actually go through walls buildings, I mean, they can do things because it's a vibration. It's kind of like a transformer on Star Trek. It can, they can go through places, but I've seen them walk through doors and walls in my own home. But Which luckily did I didn't get abducted. Yeah, I didn't get abducted. They came through, though. They were the graves, yeah. Uh, oh, wow. I mean, that's just chilling, you know. And that's where the 
chapter in Philip's book that I was writing was how to avoid being abducted by the aliens. And it so had to do it, with... What did he say? How do you avoid that then? Well, ammonia, for one, because many of the aliens are allergic to that. So you could spray Windex with ammonia around your room, on your windows. You could have garlic, because garlic produces ammonia. So, you know, again, that vampire's theory, uh, how some of these old myths were ways of telling us how to be safe, is actually having garlic in your home or on your, on your, around you will keep them from abducting you. Also metal, uh, like a piece of meteorite or a piece of iron or a magnet, because if they try to transport you onto their ship, it messes up with all their electronics. So if you have like a, a piece of meteorite or a magnet, um, also the cross, the sign of the cross. It doesn't have to actually be a cross even. But again, a sign of the cross. There's something about that the power of it that keeps you can keep you from being abducted. And in fact, that's how it was for me. I grabbed the cross that was on my neck and they went away. And never came really? back. And never came back, thank God. So there's lots of different I've, ways. I've heard that before where, um, you know, you hear so many, you know, Chris, his, his website, he hears a lot of the abductees' um, experiences and Chris, I think you would agree that, you know, sometimes that works for abductees and sometimes it doesn't. You know, right. the, the religious aspect, not just the Christian background um, aspect of it with the crucifix, but other religious articles that people thought would keep them away didn't work. I think, um, if, for me, uh, the, the concept is, is not so much the symbol that uh, does it, but the person's willpower and something that they believe in, I and I think it's all power of thought and power of mind and mind over matter type thing, that if you consciously will this to stop and you put up a fight and you do not allow it, you know, whatever your symbol of power is can help you. Um, mm -hmm. I, I just wanted to play devil's advocate for, for a moment and take a step back and say, well, what if you don't want to stop the abductions from happening? And the perfect example is my own experiences. I've only now, some uh, eight, nine years after my experiences have been remembering what occurred, and there was nothing bad. I've never experienced any negative emotion. I've never picked up on any negative intentions. I've had missing time. I've got an implant in my leg. It's been documented by ultrasounds. It's still there. I can feel it under the skin. But I have absolutely nothing to show that this was a negative experience, and I welcome it. And I, I, I just, you know, I'm still here. <laughs> you know, my, you know, I'm not being fed upon whatever. I'm perfectly healthy. I'm fine. So, you know, why should I stop something like that from happening? I see nothing negative. Right. I, I thought it was interesting. You just mentioned you had an implant because the men from the Philadelphia experiment, as they died. Uh, Oscar went in and, and he found alien implants in their bodies and at that point he didn't know what they were. But of course nowadays you would know what it is because more people like yourself have come forward and, and you know, we know what it looks like, x-rays. Bud Hopkins, he actually showed an x-ray of a woman with one behind her nose. Oh my goodness. And it looked just like what Oscar had seen in the men from the Philadelphia experiment. 
think, so, there's um, so much mystery to this whole situation with the, the extraterrestrials. I myself, with my experiences, to be honest, I don't have much memory of of them, but uh, it's usually of them coming into the room and bringing me back or coming into the room to take me. And, you know, you have to wonder why all this secrecy and everything, which maybe there is, like, a bigger agenda going on, and I'm sure there is. I like to throw caution to the wind, absolutely, but I don't like to totally pigeonhole myself and say yes or no. Um, that they're bad or that they're good because there's so many different types of them. We really don't know too much about them. Thank goodness that, that Phil, um, you know, has had some information at least um, to provide uh, knowledge to us all. And that's, I, I think that's remarkable. And I'm glad that, you know, you're on the show and you're able to, you know, give us a different perspective, a different point of view. And that's just amazing that Phil has been able to, experience and see all of these things all of you know he saw the grays he was there and um a man of his level of education is not going to just throw away that career to make up some facade story just to get famous it makes no sense at all he's educated you know he's got better things to do with his time yeah he really wanted to make a difference he wanted to make the world safer for his family and and for all the young people. He felt that abduction was generational um, and that scared him because he um, he didn't want to be abducted so his daughter wouldn't be abducted but I, I hear a positive event has occurred for some people and that's good whereas mostly I've heard a lot of negative things from abductees. The first people who took Philip's information and put it on the internet was actually uh, website for people who had been abducted. So I, I thought out of all the societies and, and people groups and on the internet, it was actually one of a group of people who had been abducted that took his information at the very beginning and put it on the internet. And their website immediately died. Oh. And the same thing happened with because the information that Philip had to tell, I guess, is so dangerous that they kill the websites to keep it from happening. Yeah, there's definitely, um, you know, no stranger to uh, those sorts of things happening. Um, you know, it does seem like, you know, when people see things they shouldn't see or learn things they didn't, you know, shouldn't have learned of, unfortunately, things start to happen for them. You know, and what I like to do is just sort of just try to keep a peaceful attitude, kind of surround myself in white light and just trust in that I do have angels watching over me. And, you know, I'm a firm believer that good does triumph over evil. And I don't know if I'm just, you know, optimistic or whatever. But, um, you know, I'm not going to stop doing the show. I'm not going to, you know, be afraid and, you know, go run the other direction. Um, I'm all about making sure that disclosure happens, you know, because it is important. It is a fact that that um, these abductions are going on, that, um, you know, there's just so much. I mean, uh, Cynthia, when you started talking about how, um, you know, the Oklahoma City bombing tied into um, the Davidian complex, you know, I had never thought of that before, but it makes perfect sense. You know, you got to look at these big, you know, events that are happening in our nation's history, and you got to take a second look at it 
And like you said, there's clues. There's clues all over the place that we just have to be more aware of, I think. Yes. Do you like, want me example, to talk a little bit pill. about bombing? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. okay. So because Philip was a structural engineer and he was an expert in explosives, so he was the one that was actually blowing out the holes for the deep underground mountain bases. He was very familiar with all the different explosives and their effects. When he saw the Oklahoma building, the Muro, Muro, I guess it's Muro building, um, he could tell from that that it was a military explosive and not just some truck going off in front of the building. Um, and in fact, he eventually felt that it was a bomb that had been placed in the elevator and another bomb had been placed in the other elevator, but only one went off. And so that's why he had kind of a U-shaped explosive effect. If you recall in the news films, as people are trying to rescue people at the very beginning, they all start to run away because they said they found another bomb. And then they go, oh, no, it wasn't another bomb. Well, it was another bomb. It was in that other elevator. And the cover-up is so, so big. The reason why that bomb was exploded is because the next day they were going to bring out all the information about Waco, the Davidian cult, and what happened at that compound. And so what was happening at that compound? Well, if you remember, they were building tunnels under their compound, and they had a bus down there and all sorts of, they, had, they were building things under their complex, and they found something that they shouldn't have found, something to do with the aliens and the tunnels that were under there for them. And I think that's why they were killed, and that's why the Oklahoma City bombing occurred. Right. Well, Chris and Cynthia, we got about 10 minutes left in the show. Is there anything in particular that either of you wanted to talk about before we go off the air and close it out for the night? Um, I could talk about the Gunderson freight cars. Sure, that's fine. Okay. Chris, did you have anything you wanted? No, I just, I just wanted to thank you uh, for uh, the discussion. I'm going to hang up and just continue to listen online. So but thanks again. Okay, Chris. Okay, thanks, Chris. Sure. Well, I know um, the Benderson freight cars are a local thing here in Portland, Oregon, and one of the employees was really concerned because the freight cars had human shackles in them, about 122 pairs of human shackles in a freight car. And so he took a photo of that, went and talked with Philip, a lot of things came to Philip that way because he was lecturing all over the United States. People who had wanted to make known odd things would come to him and say, would you talk about this because it, people need to know what's going on. And so he took the photo, he took the information and um, made it a part of his lectures. And he was feeling that when the government tries to go to the one world, one world government, there's going to be a lot of people who are not going to agree with that. And these freight cars are being made to take those people who disagree uh, to the internment camps that are already set up throughout the United States. And there's, 15, there's enough of these freight cars for 15 million people. 
which is the estimate. I've seen a lot of that online, along with the, the mass graves and the multiple, um, the, that FEMA had ordered these plastic containers um, just stacked up. You could go on YouTube and you can actually um, find those videos of these. You know, you got to wonder what they're digging all these graves for. I know one of the um, excuses was, well, our memorial cemeteries for our, our soldiers are filling up and we need to make more room. And, um, you know, it, you have to look at, they, there's all these, you know, these giant plastic containers that you can fit a person in just stacked, like Dixie mm -hmm. cups and rows, you know, yeah. um, in various states. Well, I know after the after the Oklahoma bombing, um, there was a, a special meeting by the militants with the Senate because the, the militants were being blamed for the Oklahoma bombing, and they wanted to, you know, clear out who they were and and that they didn't do that. The Senate agreed to it. That was interesting. So they came together, and it was televised on TV. And the very first thing the militant brought out was a photo of this Gunderson freight car with the shackles. And they go, um, Senator, do you know what this is? You know, it looks like a freight car with human shackles. And that senator got so upset, he closed off the meeting, and that was it. Now, in the Oregonian, which is the local paper here in Portland, it said about oh, this is a new type of constraint for cars in a freight car. Yeah, 122 shackles <laughs> is going to be used for cars to secure right. them in a freight car, I'm just sure. But that was the explanation they gave in the paper. So, so I hear that your daughter is sort of like carrying on Phil's legacy. She's getting involved in, in uh, you know, his works and the videos. Oh, him. yeah. Marie was devastated. She was eight years old when he died, was murdered, and she doesn't feel that justice has been served because of the death certificates. It says he committed suicide, and we know that's not what happened. And I think our hope is that with the continued efforts that she and I have tried to do, that perhaps they will question the fact of his death and change that to at least unknown or homicide because that's really what it was. It was a homicide. I just cannot believe the coroner decided that the rubber catheter hose that was wrapped around his neck that was done by suicide. That's just absolutely bizarre. I mean, I, I've just never heard of that. And for them not to even notice it, you know, until what, a day later, it's just very bizarre. Um, yeah. Well, we've got five minutes left on the show, Cynthia. What do you think the number one thing you want people to remember Phil by? What do you, what do you want people to think of when they think of Phil? Yeah, he truly believed, you know, in what he was telling the public. He knew he was endangering his life by doing it. He had a lot of medical issues going on for him and felt his life was not going to be that long anyway, but he wanted to take the knowledge that he had and give it to the public. 
thank goodness they had those videos going when he was giving his lectures. I feel sad, though, that they didn't show more details of, like, the photos that he was get showing or the medals or, I mean, you don't see the real detail that I saw in the original photos and the original paperwork that he had. And that all of that is gone now makes it really hard to say, hey, you know, it, it's all truthful. Well, where's the evidence? Well, you know, it's gone. <laughs> they took it. He didn't leave anything to you or to your daughter, any evidence at all? of No, I mean, it, well, let's say if I had anything, I gave it away, <laughs> right? Okay. I, I didn't want to endanger me or, or the kids. We'd already been threatened by him being dead, you know. I mean, he gave himself right. up to protect me, to protect the kids. I have a, a son and a daughter, and he... He didn't want anything to happen to us, and the threat was that if he didn't give himself up to them, because he'd been able to escape them time after time, then they knew where we, I worked. They knew where the kids went to daycare. They knew where they went to school. That was the threat. So I can't imagine the fear you guys must have felt knowing that Phil was you know, doing these works and that you guys were being watched and everything. And I just want to thank you um, and, you know, your children for trying to carry on, you know, Phil's legacy and his work. And it's unfortunate that, you know, all of the evidence was stolen. And, you know, hopefully maybe someday somehow some of it will, you know, be recovered somehow. But, you know, what's important is you're here to tell the story and keep it going. And the show's about to end here in about two minutes, so I just kind of wanted to wrap up here with you, Cynthia, and thank you very much for being on the show. And if someone, one of our listeners, wants to get in touch with you further to maybe, you know, ask you some questions that um, they would feel more comfortable just contacting you, is there, is there an email or something you can give out that you wouldn't mind people just, you know, emailing you some questions, you know, like, Sure. I, e email would be a good way because it's tough with my phone. So uh, it's C-I-M, as in mother, B as in boy, I, B as in dog, at Comcast.net. And I don't go on there very often, so if it takes a little while, I'm sure you won't mind. But I was very honored to be on your show today. and Thank you for remembering Philip and his work. Oh, no, thank you very much. And just to reiterate that email, it's C-I-M-B-I-D. Is that what it is? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. At, at, Comcast. at Comcast. Yes. Okay, wonderful. Well, Cynthia, we're about to go off the air here, but I want to thank you very much for everything that your family has done to preserve, you know, our own rights, you know, as American citizens, and that is to... Um, freedom of speech and um, disclosure is a right of way for everyone in the human race and no person has the right to take that from anyone else. So I want to thank you for being on the show and thank you to all my listeners and I will talk to you soon, Cynthia. Thank you, Carrie. Bye-bye.